Section 48 of Journal of the Reverend Francis Asbury, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Journal of the Reverend Francis Asbury, Volume 1, Section 48. Lord's Day, 15. Lord, my soul thirsteth for holiness in myself and others. I find my heart led out in prayer for those I cannot preach to. The Lord is my witness, that if my whole body, yea, every hair of my head, could labour and suffer, they should freely be given up for God and souls. During my heavy affliction, I could scarcely have met with a greater disappointment than my being unable to go to the Yadkin, but it might not be to any great purpose, and providence has hindered. By the help of a stick, I can now visit the barn and stable. The more I pray, Satan tempts the more. But this is according to custom. I hope to live the life of love and holiness below, triumphing over all my foes. Wednesday, 18. Being sent for, I went to Mr. B's on Dan River. I have been engaged in reading Baxter's Saints' Rest, and my soul was often drawn to God in secret prayer. Sunday, 22. Preached at the funeral of Absalom Bostwick's daughter. Monday, 23. Preached twice. Began to fear I should stop again. My foot swelled and my toe inflamed. Tuesday, 24. Rode 40 miles. Next day preached to fifteen people. Thursday, 26. Rode to Hillsborough. The snow was deep, the street dirty, my horse sick, the people drinking and swearing. I endeavoured to preach on a man's gaining the whole world, etc. Friday, 27. Brothers Allen and J. Cromwell were with me. We took sweet counsel together and refreshed each other's bowels in the Lord. Thursday, March 4, preached at Browder's, and then hasted to the widow Kembra's. Here I was wonderfully entertained with a late publication by Silas Mercer, a Baptist preacher, in which he has anathematized the whole race of kings from Saul to George the Third. His is republicanism run mad. Why afraid of religious establishments in these days of enlightened liberty? Silas has beaten the Pope, who only on certain occasions, and for certain reasons, absolved subjects from allegiance to their sovereigns. And if the nations of Europe believed the sweeping doctrines of Silas, they would be right to decapitate every crowned head, and destroy every existing form of church government. If plunging baptism is the only true ordinance, and there can be no true church without it. It is not quite clear that ever Christ had a church until the Baptists plunged for it. Sunday 7. Although the day was unfavourable, many attended at Pope's Chapel, where I was wonderfully assisted and enabled to be close on 2 Corinthians 13.5, a favourite subject. We had a short, simple, living love feast. Monday, 8. I enlarged on Isaiah, 55, 6, 7, at Pease Chapel. 
this neighbourhood has been poisoned by preaching antinomianism, but I hope it will yet come to something. Thursday 11. After preaching at S's, we rode to Long's. I have had great times in Tar River Circuit. The congregations have been large and living, more so than in any circuit I have passed through since I crossed the Potomac. Wednesday 17. I preached at Jones's Chapel, a better house than I expected to have seen built by the Methodists in North Carolina. We then rode 15 miles to W's, where we were kindly received and comfortably entertained. Thursday, April 1. After passing through Brunswick Circuit, I preached at Mr. Jarrett's barn. Mr. J was very kind and the people very attentive. Virginia, Sunday 4. Preached at Finney's old place, where I suppose there might be some that had hardly heard preaching since I was here last year. Thence I rode through Powhatan, Cumberland and Buckingham counties, where there is poor encouragement for religion. O oh, my Lord, arise for thine own glory, visit the people in mercy, and make known thy power in the salvation of poor sinners. We crossed James River in a canoe. Our horses by wading and swimming got over. I found some people of feeling at T. Keys, to whom I preached on John 3, 19. Thence we rode the river 17 miles along a very rude, uneasy path to preach to 15 people. After getting a little cold bacon, we rode on to Seas, where we fared better. Sunday, 11. Preached at G's Church to perhaps 500 people. From the church we rode on to Dr. Hopkins. I could not see. Feeling the hills and dales, we pushed on about 30 miles. We got in cold and fatigued about 11 o'clock. A drunken man we fell in with conducted us four or five miles. The labour of the day has been performed with little refreshment for either man or horse. Since yesterday week at noon, I have ridden 154 miles in this rough country. Arriving through the woods at Martin Keys, I found a happy change since I was here last year. Bless the Lord. I will take it as an answer to prayer. Now the whole family are called together for worship. The man is seeking, the woman has found the Lord, and the children are serious. Saturday, 17. Quarterly meeting at Brother Fry's. A living power went through the people in our love feast. It was supposed the congregation consisted of nearly, or quite, 700 people. I hope the word was sealed to some hearts. I do not love, live, or labour as I desire. O oh, my soul, stir up thyself to take hold of the Lord by diligence and faith every moment. Sunday, 25. I preached at the Mannequin Town on the Epistle to the Church at Smyrna. Monday, 26. Rode on to Walthills and thence to Petersburg, where we found a house full at six o'clock. On Tuesday, we reached Maybury's Chapel at quarterly meeting, just as preaching was over. Thursday, 29. Rode to Ellis Chapel in Sussex County, where we held our conference the two ensuing days. Brother O'Kelly gave us a good sermon. I keep under my body 
and bring it into subjection, etc. Mr. Jarrett gave us a good discourse on 1 Timothy 1 4. Our business was conducted with uncommon love and unity. From this conference I proceeded on and crossed James River on my way to the north and was led to cry to God to go with us and meet us there. Thursday, May 20. Reached Baltimore about seven o'clock. I have ridden about fifty miles today. In crossing the Potomac, when, about midway, we turned back to meet the stage, and I found Dr. Lusby. I learned by letter that my father and mother are yet alive. Tuesday, 25. Our conference began, all in peace. William Glendenning has been devising a plan to lay me aside, or at least to abridge my powers. Mr. Wesley's letter settled the point, and all was happy. The conference rose on Friday morning. I find the spirit and conversation of those I am among steal upon me. My soul is in travail to be holy in all manner of conversation and godliness. It is amazing to behold how the ice, coming down the Potomac, has swept the banks, cutting through large trees, removing rocks of incredible size, and smoothing the river banks, as though many hundreds of men had been employed for that purpose. I was solemn and blessed at Sharpsburg. A poor Irish woman, who had treated the Methodists ill, was convicted and sent for me to pray with her. God grant that the impressions made may be lasting. From Sharpsburg I hastened on to Shepherdstown, where the Lord set home his word. Came to Sister Boydstone's, one of the kindest women in Virginia. Here all things were comfortable. I was sleepy, weary, and feeble, but my body and soul were refreshed. Thanks be to God for every friend. I covenanted with God to be more in prayer. My soul is humbled before the Lord. Thursday, June 17. Lord, strengthen my resolution to be thine in heart more and more. Make and keep me always watching unto prayer. I preached at Martinsburg to a hundred people or more, and was led out while I enlarged on what is the Almighty that we should serve him, etc. Thence to Stroud's at seven o'clock and spoke with great plainness. The people stared upon us. Next morning, we had all the workmen to prayer. The mother and two daughters appeared tender, and wept when we took our leave of them. Who knows what God may do for them? Sunday 20. I attempted to preach at Newtown. I raged and threatened the people, and was afraid it was spleen. I found, however, that Mr. Otterbein, a worthy German minister, had done the same a little time before. Friday, 25. We had hard work in crossing a mountain six miles over, and it was still worse the next day in crossing the greater mountain. I found it very warm work, though stripped. We struggled along nevertheless, and met with about 400 people at Strader's, to whom I spoke on two Corinthians, Thirteen five, I hope not in vain. While I was at prayer, a large limb fell from a sycamore tree in the midst of the people, yet not one received the least injury. Some thought it was a trick of the devil. 
and so indeed it might have been. Perhaps he wanted to kill another, who spoke after me with great power. Sunday 27. At blank, I was much tried in spirit, yet I was enabled to speak pure living truth on Titus 3, 2-5 at 3 o'clock. I was assisted to speak feeling words to some souls at Van Metu's, though in pain and weariness. Thence I hasted to preach at six o'clock at Hoffman's, a third time this day, when I enlarged upon Job twenty-one fifteen. About ten o'clock at night I came to Brother Dew's, very weary, and lodged there. I hope this day's labour will be useful to my own soul, and the souls of others. Virginia, Monday 28. Preached twice. Speaker and hearers too dull. Alas! Tuesday 29. Although my body is weak, my soul is filled with love to God. He is my portion. Wednesday 30. I had freedom of spirit and utterance at J. Cressaps to a large congregation and although still weak in body, I preached again at Barrett's in the evening. Thursday, July 1. We began to ascend the Allegheny, directing our course towards Redstone. We passed the little meadows, keeping the route of Braddock's Road for about 22 miles, along a rough pathway. Arriving at a small house and halting for the night, we had, literally, to lie as thick as three in a bed. My soul has peace. For three days I had a fever. The excessive labour I have undergone may have nourished it. When I rose yesterday morning, I was very unwell. After riding about seven miles, I was taken with a trembling and profuse perspiration. I ate something and felt better, and my fever is now abated. My soul has been blessed in an uncommon degree. And thou, my soul, bless the Lord and oh that he may be pleased to make me a blessing to the people in this part of the world. Friday 2. I was amongst a dull, kind people. I spoke closely, and perhaps laboured much in vain. Here are some of Luster's disciples. This man set up prayer meetings, and preached for twenty-five pounds per annum. He left his people, because they would not increase his salary. Sunday 4. At Cheat River, we had a mixed congregation of sinners, Presbyterians, Baptists, and it may be, of saints. I had liberty, and gave it to them as the Lord gave it to me, plain enough. After me, Brother Boehm spoke with life and power. I think God will bring a people to himself in this place. Blessed be the name of the Lord for a plentiful rain after a long drought. Three thick! On the floor, such is our lodging. But no matter, God is with us. Labour is rest and pain is sweet, whilst thou, my God, art here. Pennsylvania, Wednesday 7. We had nearly 700 people at Beeson Tower. They were, in general, serious and attentive. Thursday 8. I preached at Dee's to a wild people on Acts 13.26. Since last Friday, we have ridden 160 or more miles on rough roads, through a rough country and with rough fare, 
I trust our labour will not all be lost. Tuesday, 13. I preached to many people at Old Town, where they are bound in intemperance. Wednesday, 14. I preached at Bath. I was shut up. Maryland, Sunday, 18. I preached in the new market house at Fredericton. Many attended both from town and country. Wednesday, 21. We had many to hear at Winchester. They appeared to be orderly and solemn, and I hope it will appear that some were convicted. Sunday, 25. I preached at Reisterstown on Take heed that the light which is in you be not darkness. Tuesday, 27. We had about 30 people and a poor time at Rock Chapel. We came to Squire M's, a kind, inquiring man, who received and entertained us hospitably. Saturday, 31. I praise God for health of body, peace of mind, and a desire to be holiness to the Lord. I am led into a deep and sweet union with God. My mind was solemn at the love feast, and the people appeared to be stirred up. I was very searching on Luke 18:11, and there was some move. Thence I hasted to Worley's, where I found about 150 people waiting for me. I want to be very spiritual. Seeing that it is by continual prayer alone this state is to be attained, I will endeavour to watch thereunto with all perseverance. Richard Williams, on the north branch of the Potomac, was taken prisoner by the Indians. It may be satisfactory to many to record in this journal his own account of the wonderful deliverances he experienced and the extraordinary combinations of providences by which he was restored to his family. A few days before Braddock's defeat, 19 Indians beset the house, killed his father, his mother, and one of his brother's sons. Williams and his child they secured as prisoners and took them away to Fort Pitt, now Pittsburgh, tying his hands to a tree every night to prevent his escape. The child he fed with wild cherries or berries, but it was taken from him at the fort. On the day of Braddock's defeat, he was taken across the Ohio River and guarded to Detroit, where he found the garrison reduced to the extremity of eating horse flesh. After staying some time at Detroit, he made his escape, taking with him a Frenchman's gun and ammunition, and pushed homeward, first by curve lines and then in a more straight direction. The Indians pursued and headed him, which obliged him to alter his course. Wading through a deep stream, the water went over his head and wet his powder. For three days he travelled on until, being pressed by hunger, he stopped to dry his wet powder, but on examination he found it all dissolved away. His next shift was to dig sarsaparilla for sustenance. He went on and by good fortune found a fish which a bird had dropped and ate that. Continuing on, he came to a large river where he saw two canoe loads of Indians pass. From these he hid himself. The Indians being out of sight, he made a raft of two logs, and by this contrivance gained the opposite shore. After this, 
he was three days without eating or drinking and reduced to extreme suffering. He saw an Indian and escaped him and came to a stream of water of which he drank and soon after a plum tree, some of the fruit of which he took along with him. The day following he fared something better, having found part of a fawn which he roasted, picking the bones and the marrow and carefully preserving the meat for future need. After all the venison was eaten, on each succeeding day, for three days, he found a squirrel. He afterwards caught and ate a polecat. At another time he saw a hawk fly up, and going to the spot, he found a wild turkey. Travelling on, he came to the Ohio and waded it. Near this place, an Indian threw a tomahawk at him. He tried to escape by climbing up a wild cherry tree, but found himself too weak, and he fell into the hands of two Frenchmen and five Indians, and thus found himself once more in the power of his enemies. With these he feigned derangement. They, however, took him along with them to Fort Pitt. On the way he tired, and they threatened to kill him. He told them he was willing to die. Arriving at the fort, an Indian charged him with being a prisoner from Detroit. He was forthwith put under a guard, and a council held in the French language to determine what was to be done with him. The sentence of the general was that he should be shot. To this some objected, saying that his spirit would haunt them if he was killed there, and advised his being taken to the island and buried in the sand. He was told that he should eat no more meat there, that the crickets should eat him. He behaved himself as though he understood nothing, they said, yet he knew the general purport of their conversation, although they spoke in French. He relates that one morning before day, while in the fort, he fell into a trance. He beheld spirits for his conductors, and lightning also. The guards being both asleep, he climbed up the high wall and clambering over the spike palisades, got out safe. Having still to pass the sentinels, and not knowing where they were placed, he was discovered just as the cock crew for day. The sentinels mistook him for a comrade, and let him pass. At this time he felt a conviction that his wife prayed for him, and this was communicated in an unusual manner. And she, during his absence, had great comfort, and an assurance that she should see her husband again. Escaping thus, he made the best of his way without interruption until the evening, when he heard a gunfire some distance behind him. Presently another. These were his pursuers, who had found his track in the woods. He strove to run, but he was too weak. Another gun, yet nigher to him, went off. He made what way his strength would allow, and when he came to places where he left no track, he made zigzag courses to deceive them and give him time to get ahead. But there were so many of them, they would still discover his track again. Thus he struggled on until seven guns were fired, the last of which he supposes to have been within two or three hundred yards from him. Now his heart began to fail, and he thought he was gone. Yet he resolved to labour onward as long as he had life. At the firing of the last gun, his pursuers crossed his track and got ahead of him, Taking advantage of this circumstance, 
he turned out of the path, letting the Indians who were behind tread in the footsteps of those before. Following the direction now taken, he had not gone far until he came to a path which led to a settlement of the whites. This he did not long keep, but going round the head of the ravine, laid himself down, concluding that, if his track was again discovered, he would be favoured by the darkness. The Indians did get his track twice, but never overtook him. He went on in the dark as well as he could, sometimes feeling the bushes with his hands. Among the rocks, he often fell down from weakness. Having gained smoother ground, he stopped and lay down until day. His enemies, it seems, had not given up the pursuit. He had not long left his hard lodgings when he heard the report of two guns. But coming to a hill where no mark of a footstep could be traced, he steered his course for Bedford and came on a trading path in which he kept. Five days he lived on acorns. Afterward he found some wild cherries, but lo, while he was eating, up comes an Indian. The Indian asked him where he was going. He said, to the Delaware. The Indian then took him by the hand and gave a whoop, when presently others joined him. By these he was kept a prisoner for some time. He appeared bold, was active in cooking, and by his cleverness got the favour of the captain, who praised him and said he could do everything like an Indian. He had more than he needed to eat. The captain, however, was very careful to secure him every night by making him lie down in one corner. Here he drew a cord over some hoop poles and tied deer's hoofs to the end, so that if Williams pulled open the poles, they would rattle and the deer's hoofs would strike the captain's face. With these Indians, Williams stayed a long time. They went to war and left him to provide deer for the squaws. At last he found an opportunity of escaping, which he improved, and arrived safe at his own home. He is now a faithful man, his wife a pious woman, and they have preaching at the house. Our quarterly meeting in Philadelphia circuit began the 21st of July. I addressed the congregation on the epistle to the Church of Sardis. We had a gracious time on Sunday the 1st of August. At four o'clock I preached again in the Valley Church on Isaiah 66, 1. Heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. Monday, August 2. After preaching at Brother H's on Luke 11.13, I went to the city and preached to many people on 1 Peter 3.15. Friday 6. I was blessed in preaching on Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I was weak and faint from the extreme warmth of the weather. Sunday 15. I was very weak and had to lie down on the floor. However, although faint, I was enabled to speak to nearly a thousand people in Philadelphia. New Jersey, Monday 16, went to Burlington. Tuesday 17, went to Trenton, although unwell and greatly oppressed by heat. I preached at both these places. Tuesday 24, I rode to Mr. Ogden's. Next day I spoke, but with little freedom, to an attentive yet unfeeling audience in Sussex Courthouse. My host, who appears to be a man of liberal sentiments, entertained me kindly. 
I preached at Newmarket Plains to about 100 hearers. I spoke freely in vindication of Methodism. It was strange, for I knew not until afterward that there were present those who had come at no other time. New York, Friday 27. We had a trying journey to New York, the weather being excessively warm. I found my old friends C and W L at Newark, who appeared pleased to see me. We took the stage and reached York about eight o'clock. At York we found the people alive to God. There are about one hundred in society, and, with those in Philadelphia, to my mind, appear more like Methodists than I have ever yet seen them. My first discourse was for the benefit of poor stragglers, who have not yet returned to the fold. The subject chosen was Revelations 3, 1-4. to 4. Sunday, 29. In the evening I preached for the benefit of poor sinners on Job 21, 15. Monday, 30. My soul is alive to God. I visited, prayed, read, wrote, met the classes, and in the evening preached. I have found great consolation and fellowship in the classes. Monday, September 6. I took leave of my dear friends in New York. They showed their love in deed and in truth, liberally supplying me with what was necessary. On Tuesday, Brother Haggerty met me, and we rejoiced together. End of section 48